Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast, session number 12. That music just seems appropriate today, because today we're calling out the dragon, and we're talking to Chris Fedor. He's the assistant events manager at the Dragon's Lair in Austin. And the Dragon's Lair started off in a house nearly 20 years ago. It grew from its humble beginnings into a magic powerhouse in Austin, pulling in a fantastic weekly turnout and building a great community. Chris lays out exactly how Dragon's Lair attack, attracts, not attacks, new players and keeps them coming back for more. If you're looking for some new ways to generate revenue this summer, and you have the table space to accommodate it, you should really consider the model that Dragon's Lair uses. Running a magic day camp could be a great way to fill your tables and your coffers during the slow daytime periods. We also chat about franchising options. Now, if you're considering opening your own local game store, but you don't want to start from scratch, consider opening another Dragon's Lair in your target community. All that and more in the interview. Coming up right now. Uh, all right, my name is Chris Fedor. I am the assistant events manager for Dragon's Lair. Um, I got into this last year when, I mean, I've been going to the store since I moved to Austin, and working in the game store has always been one of those, if only I could, and then I finally applied and got the job, and once my foot was in the door, I just took it and ran with it. Okay. How long have uh, have you been working there? Since uh, October last year, but the store has been around for over twenty years. Yeah, I read that they were open since '86. Uh, yep, that's a pretty good run. It's a decent run for a store that started small and has grown to as big as it is now. So, what's the history behind the Dragon's Lair then? What is you haven't worked there for the entire time, but. Uh, <laughs> what is their what's their growth been like? They started off twenty years ago. What's the uh, what's the difference today? Well, the big difference is that it started off inside a house. It was pretty much just off into the side, and it was something that our owner David Wheeler was really into. He loved comics, he loved games, so he started a little store inside his house. And from there, it's just grown and grown and grown. And I'm sure we're going to get into it later as we talk about growing businesses. But the steps that they took and that he took was to grow it a little bit by a little bit. And the final product of it, not that you can see it right now, but it's one of the biggest game stores in the country. And it's phenomenal. We have comics, games, miniatures, card games, Tables set up for everything, you know, whatever you need that's geeky and sundry, we can supply you with. So, okay. So, what uh, what is the Dragon's Lair known for? Right now, it's just the epitome of geekiness. I think in Austin, like I said, we we've even with catering to the regular groups that we do with gaming and comics, we seem to keep finding more and more that we can get into recently we expanded into getting into the cosplay community and we now offer makeup services 
Warbla for building armor and stuff like that. We already do large-scale miniature tournaments. Uh, we held the very first WizKids Open, which was Hero Clicks, Dice Masters, and we hold, I want to say, 300 competitors on top of about 500 to 600 guests for that. And we do magic. We hold magic four times a week, and we get about 50 to 60 almost almost every night for those nights. So wow. That's good. So as the events manager, I imagine you're the one, well, the assistant events manager, you're the one kind of <laughs> taking care of all the magic tournaments and the other games every night? Yep. Uh, me and the other assistant events manager usually are the ones who run things like the magic tournaments. We set them up and coordinate them, and we talk to the community about what they're looking into, what they need, what we can fix, and you know, ways to better improve their experience. Sounds good. Have you ever had any uh, any difficulties dealing with uh, events? If there ever has he ever had any problems dealing with magic community? Uh, I think that once you get into any kind of community, you have problems come up. Um, it's just goes with the territory. The important thing is just to remember that you're trying to make it accessible to everyone and not cater to. A specific group and i was reading some of your articles about that and you've actually gone into detail about that several times where it's not just for the high competitive people you want to make sure that everybody can feel welcome here and usually that's where the only issues we've had come in is somebody gets out of line mm-hmm. and that's just something that's easy enough to address with that person i mean we usually are just like listen you just have to be a bit of a better sport about this or you can't, you know, use that kind of language in this kind of environment. And that's pretty much the worst it's ever gotten. So, Okay. I noticed on your site you have a code of conduct listed for mm-hmm. the people who play in your store and play in your events. Have you found that to be, like, crucial? Like you were talking <laughs> about how you have to actually go and tell some people that you have to tone that down and... You know, you have to well, tell them how to act properly, which is interesting when they're in a public space, but not everyone knows, right? You have to actually state it for them. Exactly. And I mean, I'm as I'm sure you're aware, once competition heats up, there's mm-hmm. a disconnect of where you are <laughs> versus what you're doing. So it's very easy to get lost in the moment. The code of conduct is pretty much our, our fail-safe for you are acting out of line this clearly says what inline is mm-hmm. and we don't have to worry about, Oh, well you didn't tell us or you didn't make an announcement or any of that kind of pointless arguing that some people want to get into. Cause we can just be like, no, it's right here. You can look at it. It's posted all in our store. And I've told you now personally, if you can't keep to this, then we're going to have to ask you to leave. It keeps it so that we have, a formal way of doing it and then a polite way of asking them to correct themselves and mm. not overbearing about it. We, we don't have to constantly say guys, watch your language, stuff like that. Our group is usually pretty good about that. So, okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about your event structure for a little bit. You are getting what for most stores would be a great turnout. 50 to 60 yes. is pretty extraordinary. I like, especially like, every weekday 
Like it's not a pre-release where you're really bringing yeah. up the people who don't show up all the time. This is just consistent. Yeah. How did you get that to that size? Like what, what makes uh, your store the place where everyone wants to play at? Well, I, I will say uh, some of the advantages that come with being in a big store are just sizing itself. Um, mm. And I don't just mean table space. You can cram 60 people anywhere, but due to the size of our store, we have lots of room for people to move around and adjust and kind of make themselves comfortable. So in that sense, it's very easy to just kind of grab a seat, hang out and enjoy yourself and not feel like you're crammed into a corner of a tiny little room. And I really do think that that goes a long way because when you get into this, it's very exciting to say, Oh, I can fit 50 to 60 people. But if you don't have the room for that, it turns people away. And when you do have the room for whatever size you're going for, I think it makes it easier. And on top of that, we're very involved with our community. Um, like I was saying earlier, we actually talk to them a lot about mm -hmm. what they're interested in. We add things to a program that, you know, people ask for, we experiment with new types of tournaments. I mean, nothing that we create out of the blue, but when people say, you know, we're looking for something different, we can be like, well, do you guys want to try a two headed giant tournament and see if we can get that running? And people will give us their feedback and then we'll start implementing it. And I really think that talking to your actual customers is really important and kind of kind of spreading out who you're talking to is really important too, because you might have one or two people who are very adamant about doing some very exclusive type of tournament. Mm -hmm. And that's all well and good. But the thing is, is that you need to talk to everyone and see if that's something that's actually going to what we say is shoot off and get off the ground, or if it's just a, this person really wants it and he's the only one who wants it or she's the only one who wants it. Yeah. You definitely want to know if it's a community opinion or some, a single person's really a fanatic opinion. Exactly. And, and one of the nice things I like about the position I'm in is that, and, and it goes towards why we have such a good community is I've gotten to the point where I'm on a first name basis with most of the regulars who come in here and I can talk to them about whatever they're interested in, like sports or what's going on with their work or, you know, if they just happened to get engaged or got married, things like that. So I think that having that personal kind of connection with your customers and, you know, the players themselves really takes a step ahead because you can carry as much supply as you want. You can carry all the greatest cards at all the greatest prices. But when it comes to actually people showing up for a tournament and playing, I think a lot of that has to do with being a place that doesn't feel like you're at this, you know, stale environment. It feels like a very welcoming kind of home, you know, it's a home away from home where you can play magic with a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Or it feels like you're third place. Exactly. Where the business actually wants you to be there. Yes. And, and again, that's, the, I mean, I've been to stores. I grew up in the Northeast and I've been to stores all across the country. And, you know, the stores that I remember and talk fondly of, and including here, are the ones that the people who work there went out of their way to make it feel like 
hey, if I have a question, I'm not an idiot for asking about it. Or if I'm new, I'm not going to be shuffled off into a corner. I can come out and be open that I'm new and people will help me. Mm-hmm. And when you create that environment as as a company, it kind of rubs off on your player base, which, again, it's just it's like a pyramid scheme. Because then your players start bringing in more people and they start teaching new people who they've never met before. You know, I have really great guys who, you know, a new person will join and I will pick them out and be like, go and talk to, you know, Adam or or Andrew or any of these guys. And Mm -hmm. they will sit there and go over all these things and teach you how to get into it and tips on how to draft and, you know, just make it fun for you. Because, again, it's supposed to be a community. It's not supposed to be a click. Mm. Is that something that you encourage for your customers? Like the people who are advocating the games for you, is that a is that a process for your business or is that just almost organic? You just have a community that does that? It's a little bit of both, but I definitely think it's more organic than a process because we we pretty much express it to our our base as you know, is there something else we can do that you guys would be interested in? And then, like I said, we just casually bring up regular conversation. And that's where, you know, one of the things we added this this year was uh, a steady modern tournament every week. And that was because we just got to know our players and they started coming to us and talking to us. And they're like, some of my friends play modern. We're looking to play a bit more and we only get to do it right now once a month. Could you make it once a week? And we got it going and it wasn't like we planned it. We just talked to our customers. They let us know what's going on. And then they started bringing people so that that event would, you know, work. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh, that's pretty much ideal. I would say to have your community and specific people really grow it for you. Like they are the champions of the format, right? They're like, oh, let's go play modern. Come on, guys. Let's let's get enough people together and we can go play modern. And then this thing will start start the ball rolling. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a part of, of the store is that you, you don't need to be a control, you know, freak about everything. You need to let it grow because if you do that, you get those kind of people who, who will do all the promoting you ever could hope for because they'll just want to do it and then you can just sit Mm -hmm. back and accommodate and that's what a store is supposed to do it's not supposed to dictate your life it's supposed to accommodate your needs Mm -hmm. okay so you mentioned new new customers at some point while we were talking about all that do you have a strategy for bringing in new customers or is it uh are you kind of at a comfortable spot right now no, we're always looking to bring in new customers. Um, I don't think you should ever be comfortable with just keeping your, your customer base because people are always going to move on to other things. And if you've been in Magic long enough, you know people will go into a break. You know, mm-hmm. Very few people stick with Magic for 10, 15 years straight. Usually there's a I'm taking a year or two off kind of thing. And a lot of our customers that we bring in that I would consider new to the store, but aren't new to magic are that exact crowd. The, I used to play in high school. Then I went to college, didn't know anyone or I went to college and then went to the real world and didn't know anyone. And I want to get back into magic because one mm-hmm. of my coworkers. And it's funny how I it think just keeps that, pulling you back in. 
it, it really is like the mafia in that uh-huh. sense. And I always joke about it with the, the, the people who are doing that. Cause I was the same way I started back in revised and I've gone back three or four times and it's just, you always end up finding somebody who has that connection. You know, it's like, Oh, I used to play. Why don't you get your old deck out? And that's a lot of the people who show up mm-hmm. and we try and, we try and nurture that with, you know, making it easy. We, we do our regular tournaments. We do our drafts. Um, we do learn to plays, which is a really good one for brand new players. Um, that's usually the younger crowd, but I mean, kids these days play magic religiously sometimes at schools. I mean, there's mm-hmm. at least one school in the area that has a magic club, which I think is phenomenal. But I mean, it, the learn to plays give us a chance to get people who are just getting into the game to give it a shot without any pressure. We get we have free cards, free decks to give them just to get them started. So it's just a kind of chance for them to experience it without having to throw in any kind of investment. And you know, Magic's one of those games that once you get a taste of, usually you want to stick to it. You know, the people who leave the game because they didn't like it. I mean, I've never met anyone who didn't like the game itself. It's always because they had problems with somebody they played. So if you create an environment that is saying, you know, here, we're going to welcome you in. We're going to teach you everything you need, you know, talk to you like a person Mm -hmm. and interact with you without looking down about, you know, or condescending towards you. Every one of those people has been like, okay, I'm going to get into this, you know, and I think that. That's a really big part. I mean, that goes back to what we were just talking about with, you know, making it an environment that is a community and not exclusive where you, you know, whether it's me as an employee or somebody I trust who plays here to pull somebody in and just talk to them and get them started and, you know, not laugh at them for making mistakes and stuff and put them down and just, you know make it seem like, oh, well, don't worry about that, you know, and, and be lighthearted about it because that's how you're going to pull those new people in. And that's one of the biggest ways we get our new people is by if, if somebody comes up to the back of our register where we sell our magic cards and says, you know, look, I'm looking to get into this, we'll pull them aside and talk to them for five, ten minutes and actually go over the details, talk about what's exciting about the game, what, mm-hmm. you know, what they might be interested in. And I think that when they actually see somebody coming to them and addressing them in a happy and excited way, it makes them feel like they could belong to that and not like, well, maybe, maybe I need to be more experienced and then kind of put it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. If left alone, magic can be pretty intimidating. Mm -hmm. And, And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful game. It's just one of those things where you really need to find that way to connect with people and, Again, if you go somewhere where somebody says, hey, you should try this with me, as opposed to you're new, go over there, it, it's an entirely different experience. One experience, you're going to want to keep playing. The other experience, you're going to say, maybe I'll move on to something else. Mm-hmm. All right, so when did you start doing these uh, learn-to-play events? We've been doing them at the store since I've been there and since before then. Um, the learn to plays we usually did once every quarter, but it's getting to the point now where we're starting to do them about once a month because we have such a high interest in people just getting into the game. And 
you know, a lot of parents come in, um, especially during the holiday break, and they're like, my kids are getting into magic. They have all these cards. They have no idea how to use them. Is there any way you guys can teach us? And we usually pull them aside for about 10 minutes to kind of give them a rundown. But then we're like, you know, come in when we're having our, our Lure to Plays and, you know, we'll teach you, give you cards. You don't have to pay anything. It's just come on in and have a good time. And we'll teach them. And on top of that, one of the things we started doing um, the past four years, it was also before I came here, but we've started running magic camps for kids. Okay. And that's just a week-long day camp where the parents can drop them off and we teach them all kinds of formats for magic. We'll teach them how to draft, how to build a deck, how to build commander, how to play in tournaments, how to play in team tournaments, and you know, give them all the tools they need to go back to school or wherever and, you know, show off to some friends and again, bring more people in. So that sounds like a great idea. It, it usually is. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I had that when I was a kid. sounds like a well, great way I mean, to spend a week during your summer vacation. I was going to say, I usually got stuck at like math camp or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> so do you charge for this program? Uh, we do charge for the uh the summer camp program mm-hmm. um it's 150 dollars, but from what you get out of it it's more than worth it because i think last year we gave every kid i think it was two or three boxes of magic cards uh boxes booster boxes on top of a starter deck and deck box deck sleeves and a life counter so that's good value yeah, I was going to say, you're, it's not like you're you're just paying $150 and we give you a starter deck and a couple of packs and say, good luck. We we went out of our way to make sure that these kids thought it was Christmas <laughs> all nice. over again. Nice. So, and, and I think that's another thing, too, is that magic is so, so big and old now that it's very easy to get cards and give them to people. And I think that that's something that as, as I was a kid growing up, you didn't really have a lot of. And when you did, it meant a lot. Like when a veteran player who had a thousand cards was like, here, take 50. It didn't matter if those 50 cards were garbage commons. It meant something. But nowadays, I mean, you get players who come in who are veterans who will (laughs) pretty much leave their entire like packs from prizes and participation unless they get something that they can trade because they have all the cards they need. And those cards go into a community pool and we build decks out of them and give them to people because why not, you know? Yeah. No, I like that a lot, actually. That sounds like a great way to build your community, attract new customers and really get them invested in you. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're, you're, uh, you're building all that, <clears throat> excuse me, goodwill. So let's uh, shift gears just a little bit. Sure. You do events multiple days of the week. Do you sell singles? We do sell singles. Um, uh, probably not the biggest store in terms of singles. We usually keep it to standard. And our case usually gets looted pretty quickly for most of the value cards. But we do have singles. Okay, so you have singles inventory. Do you buy we do trades only right now. Uh, there's been talk in the future about us switching into a buy program, but right now it's just if you have cards, you can trade for cards. Why? 
Uh, as far as I know, it was mostly just because we didn't have a system in place that we could easily access our accounts and just say, here's $20 for that card or here's $10 for that card. And our system for doing that is changing. We're updating things so that hopefully in the future we'll be able to do at least credit for the store or something similar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you uh, how do you manage your inventory? What do we, like what's your method of display? Binder upon binder, or is it like the nice glass display case? We have a nice dis- glass display case, but that's for the big money cards. Mm-hmm. Anything over five dollars, we usually keep in there. Um, we do have binders which we organize by set, and then in the sets we organize them by alpha uh, colored, alphabetized. So. I believe it's white, blue, black, red, green, and then colorless and artifacts. I was going to say, we just try and make it as easy as possible so that if you're looking for, you know, this dragon, we can be like, oh, go to red in this section and it'll be under R and you'll be fine. You know? Yeah. Make the scan time as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with magic, you're, you're never going to cut down on that scan time because the moment you start opening a book you're going to want to look at all the cards that even hint at something you could do, use in your deck so <laughs> yeah 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 now the question i was going to ask was uh if you yeah, right now you don't buy cards so how did you initially get a uh, singles inventory was it just you just cracked a booster case or something and started with that mm-hmm. yeah we with every series that comes out we keep um we try and keep some of the exclusive cards from it, and we always keep the binders full for standard. And we'll open usually a couple of booster boxes and bust out any of the rare cards from that, and then use the rest of them to fill the binders for commons, uncommons, and mm-hmm. rares that don't quite meet the, the case requirements. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a really good option for giving people what they need. You know, there's the rare cards are big, and, and people will still go out of their way to get them, but... A lot of people I notice will do more playsets for the commons and uncommons they need. And being able to have probably, I want to say, a 5,000 card box worth per um, set of commons, uncommons, and rares that we can be like, oh, you're looking for a playset of, you know, this card. We can be like, oh, well, that's no problem. Here's your playset. And then keeps people from having to trade for a lot of the less powerful cards and do the little trades here and there. No, I get it. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to trade player to player for things like uncommons. Most people aren't bringing their entire collection to a store, right? Exactly. I mean, you pull out your trade binder, your trade binder is nothing but the hard to get stuff. Exactly. When when you're trying to fill out your, you know, elvish mystics, (laughs) you need to, find somebody who's willing to dump a few. And if they don't have them mm-hmm. on them, it's nice to be able to go up to a counter and be like, Oh, here's 30 cents. Get yeah. your three, fill out your team. So yeah, exactly. I know you can't go back to the early days of the business per se, but uh, was there anything that they struggled with early on that you know about? Um, Were there difficulties in the early the- days of the dragon lair? I was going to say, I think the biggest difficulty is is when you start off small, it's very frustrating to 
want to be able to do stuff for everybody and honestly taking the very patient route of getting there when your time is right. Um, because I've seen the place where we came from and it's considerably smaller. And even the store before this was much smaller and it's just been a slow progression. And every time the store has grown, even when I've been visiting it, it opens up new doorways, I want to say into gaming and, you know, collecting and whatever your interest might be Mm -hmm. that before wasn't necessarily an option because you couldn't you just couldn't do it and i think that getting those early days out you know from under your belt and saying you know well i provide comics i provide games but i can only provide these comics and these games Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating because you know the the geek community the gaming community hasn't really been powerful up until recently like the past 10 years you know, we got flung to the pop culture heads, you know, but before that, you know, you had to go and dig up in old comic shops, you know, what you wanted and you had to order online or through like paperback books, what you wanted. And I think getting through that period and just being very patient about it is really hard. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. So there's definitely something to be said about, the era we live in at the moment. It's almost the golden age for geeks. It pretty much, I mean, I'm sure you have your own experiences, but I grew up and I was lucky to have a comic store within 40 minutes of me. And Mm -hmm. it was a tiny little shop that was lined wall to wall with comics and games, but you could barely fit in there. And now I can go to like a target and Walmart and I'm finding magic, the gathering and D and D and all these other things. And it's like, a terrible price. Never would have dreamed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you just, to see it now is a very different thing, but that's, that's something that can also be misleading because when you get into your own business, uh, when we talk to people about possibly franchising with us, one of the things we have to let them know is you know, you can't just get to our stage of the store. You know, you're going to start at a very small level and you're going to have to grow like that. And that goes back to the, you have to be patient and do and put in your time to get to what you want. You know, everyone's got a big dream for what they want their game store to be. Mm-hmm. But unless you have tons of money withheld in like a Swiss bank, <laughs> you really have to take it slow and just steadily progress it. Okay. So uh, I want to get into the whole franchising thing in a second, but uh, on the theme of struggling a little bit anyways, what challenges are you facing now? Like what's the, what are the biggest difficulties that the Dragon Lair has today? Um, One of the big difficulties is that the communities are at a point where there's only so much room we have and we want to accommodate everyone and we do a good job of it, but it takes a lot of juggling to make everything work. And I think that that's one of the big challenges we have is that we keep trying to expand what we're wanting to do and having to keep it within reason and not take too big a jump is 
is a big challenge for us because it's very easy now that we're at this stage of the store to be like, oh, well, we should do this when it's not necessarily feasible to do that. And mm-hmm. there's been some stumbles along the way um, for finding events and game systems and such that you think are going to be really big and you just can't quite get them the way you envisioned. Um, to give you an example, uh, without going into specific details, you know, if a hot new game comes along that's talked up a lot and, you know, let's say it's a miniatures game and you want to go out of your way to be the store that you can get all your supplies for, you want to go all in on it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that that community has to be there and has to want that. And some games, you know, they'll come right out and there will be a community already built and it will show up and it will take care of all your job for you. But some games, even with a ton of hype, you know, you have to really nurture and it's like trying to raise a very fragile baby because anything can scare them off and you don't want that. So I think that's a real big challenge. How do you find the right move? Trial and error. Uh, there's there's always going to be a mistake along the way. The key is to make sure it's not a mistake you can't recover from. Um, we've we've got more leeway than most stores, but from my experience, what you want to do is again talk to your community, find out what they are excited about, and find out what what your store is catering to. Um, you know, our store caters to a lot of different groups, but if you're a store that say caters to magic groups a lot and then other groups a little, you're going to lean towards doing magic things and magic related things that you can take a risk on and say, look, I want to go in on a modern master tournament or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to take a big step when you don't have the community in that store. And with a store like ours, we have a lot of communities, but we also that also is a disadvantage because you have so many communities already built. Finding new communities can be a challenge. So if you start up a new game and you're really excited about it and you see it's getting tons of great reviews and there's these big tournaments going on across the country, you might be interested in taking that leap for it. But you have to really look at it and say, well, maybe I should just invest a little bit here you know, get some product and set up an event to, you know, learn to play the game and then maybe a tournament for it Mm -hmm. and go from there. And again, it's one of those things where it's very easy to get really big eyes and be like, Oh, I'm going to conquer this new game. And then realize that you have thousands of dollars of products sitting in your store, not doing anything because you misread the community. Yeah. So try and be conservative with your, new product lines and shiny objects. Make sure mm-hmm. that uh, anything you do is not necessarily fatal. Yeah. And one other thing that's, that's always important. And I think this is true of any retail, but one of the big things that always comes up when customers have an issue and it has nothing to do with how you're running the store is that sometimes whether it's your distributor or the company that makes the product themselves, a delay will happen. It's almost inevitable. And when that does happen, you need to be able to roll with it and not be stuck, you know, 
holding on to again too much that you can't handle mm. and it's very important that you don't i mean certain certain things you know are going to come out on a day they're going to come out on a day certain things say they're going to come out on a day and you can set up for that day and then find out you're not getting any of it and that yeah. that's not good <laughs> you don't want that yeah that sounds because pretty bad that, that creates a uh, uh, ill will between you and your customers because they expected you to do something and whether it's not, you know, again, it's usually just a matter of life getting in the way of a business putting something out, you know, they have their own reasons for it and you don't hold it against them. But at the same time, if you set up this big tournament and 40, 50 people are showing up and then you have nothing for them to do, that is a situation you want to make sure you can avoid it if at mm -hmm. all possible. For sure. So it's good to, it's good to know which places you can rely on something to happen and other times when to give yourself a little bit more leeway in terms of time. Um, that way you can plan ahead for it. You know, you don't always have to be the first one on the block to be the most successful one on the block. That's true. All right. So going to this franchising thing, this is mm -hmm. one of the few stores that I've heard that will actually do this. When did they start offering the franchise option? It's been going on for a little while. We've had a San Antonio store for, I want to say a decade. And we had another store up north of us um, that they ended up buying and becoming independent. But the thing is, is that we've been offering it for a little while. And it it's a good chance to tie yourself to something without kind of taking the jump on your own. Um, and in game stores and comic stores and the like, it's very hard to find steady ground to rely on that isn't just yourself. So it's nice to be able to tie yourself to another store and say, look, this store is this big successful store. We can get supplies from there. We can coordinate with them and be able to, you know, use that, you know, wealth of knowledge and advantage and experience to build your own thing. And, you know, that's, that's really tough to find in this kind of retail. You know, mm -hmm. usually if you're building your own store, you're putting everything on the line and you're doing everything yourself. And it's nice to have that kind of backup that says, you know, well, you're going to have some missteps, but we're here to give you some of the experience so that you can avoid some of those missteps. Okay, so what does the franchise get in return for signing up for this? Like, what what exactly do you do for them? I'm not sure on all the specifics. I know we tie in with um, some of our distributor talks and and agreements, and that we right now, us and our San Antonio store, pretty much have completely open communication and trading, so that if somebody down in San Antonio needs something we can literally just hop in a van and drive that stuff down there okay. and get it to them. So it gives us, it gives us an option to give them a bigger stock supply and a different stock supply. So they can focus on what their community needs. We can focus on what our community needs, but if we have a little overlap, we can team up on it. So, you know, there's been situations where they'll get games that are really popular down there that we won't touch, but then somebody will ask about it here and we can just get them on the line and within the next day or two, they can drive it up. So interesting. 
Do you only Force offer it to local areas? Like San Antonio no. is not that far from Texas, right? Or from Austin? No, uh, <laughs> no, it's not too far from Texas. Or no, Austin. it's not too far. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, we do offer further. I've heard that we were talking about at one point, this is before I came on with a place up in Washington. Hmm. So it's got wider potential. It's just a matter of, you know, if somebody wants to get in touch with us and look into it. Okay. How popular has this been? Like how long has it been going on? And then also do you actually get a lot of interest in people opening up a franchise for you? It's been going on. I would say that it's been more recently pushed harder within the last five years. And I don't mean pushed like we throw it at people, but I mean, (laughs) we actually have like little slips and stuff that we can hand people out now. And that's probably within the last few years that that came around. But um, that's really what boils down to is if somebody's interested, we'll give them a little slip that has a lot of the information on it and they can contact our owner and they start talking about what they want to do and all the expectations with it. And we get interest about it. Usually, I mean, it's not like, you know, a game or anything, but we'll get about one or two people every few months that are like, I'd like to start a game store. I've always wanted to start a game store. Do you guys do this as an option? And that's usually how the conversation starts. That's interesting. I like that. Like I said, it's one of the few places that I've heard of doing franchising. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that it's actually worthwhile that once you become an established brand, it is an option. It's, it gives, it gives you more choices and more opportunities. And I really do think that, like you said, we're hitting that age where I think our retail is going to take those steps to move into what other companies have done for all their other, you know, retail successes. You know, it's, it's finally hitting that stage where you can say, I have a giant store. I'd like to offer this opportunity to other communities because people constantly come in from those communities and say, I wish I had a store like you mm-hmm. here. And there's no reason that you can't, you know, this in the 21st century, there's no reason that anywhere with a decent population can't have a good game store or a good comic store. And having the option to say, can you give me the advice and tools to start it up? I think you're going to see more stores willing to take that step. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Let's uh, move on just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Quick question. If you had to pick something specific, one thing, maybe two things, what is it that makes the dragon Lair successful? Hmm. I think that the biggest difference that I noticed before I worked here, and I still notice it now, but as a customer, I think that's the important part, is that it had a large staff that was ready to help you. Um, that goes a real long way towards getting you comfortable to talk to people about things because usually smaller stores that I've been to and the stores that I'd went in once and then never went back. It was usually operated by one or two people mm-hmm. and they didn't engage me at all. So I kind of felt like I was a stranger in a strange land. And when I came into Dragon Slayer, I was immediately greeted and 
you know, people were visibly within sight of me so that if I needed anything, I could simply be like, hey, do you have this board game? Hey, where are your magic cards? And it made it easy to approach, you know, it made it easier to, to feel like I could get what I needed if I wanted to. And it wasn't ever pushy, you know, it was very much a, do you need anything? Okay. And then they'd leave you alone. And mm. that was it. And I think that that kind of visibility with help is really powerful in a very subtle way because it, it makes you feel like you can just go in there and get what you need. And if you can't find what you need, you can get the help you need. And as a gamer too, especially since you're looking for communities, I mean, I moved down here from New York and I didn't know about any communities until I came here. You know, the internet is great for finding them, but sometimes finding that perfect organic community, game stores are still, you know, the bread and butter of that. And being able to come in and be like, hey, I play Magic. Is there some sort of community? And then to you know, immediately hear, oh, yeah, well, we have Magic on Friday nights. We have drafts on, you know, Sundays and Tuesdays. What kind of Magic do you play? And then to talk about the subject, too. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's part of why it's so successful. And and I think that that goes a long way is like when a customer asks you about something to actually go into detail about it, it, it makes you feel like you've found somebody that you can confide in and stuff. And, you know, that's important when you're working at, you know, a company or going as a customer to a company, you want to find somewhere where you can be like, Hey, I'm playing magic and you know i'm getting beat by my friend all the time and i don't know do you know and then for that person to be like oh well what colors is he playing what colors are you playing and then immediately get the kind of help you need that's you know very much a experience as opposed to just an interaction Mm -hmm. i think i know exactly what you mean i've been in several stores where they're usually operated by the owner Normally, when you start mm-hmm. out, there's not a lot of option for employees. Usually, it's just you working forever, all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, yeah, you do have the the difficulty, right, of really communicating with your players and engaging them. Like you said, when someone comes into the store and it's just you, but there's a whole bunch of other people who also need your help. You have to basically triage, and you will yep. definitely alienate a certain percentage of the people who come into your building. So, it really would pay to have employees and more hands, more people who can help and actually create that, uh, that good experience of what it's like. I was going to say, and I know that that's not always possible. Like, especially if you're just starting off, I mean, I mean, you and I both have had experiences. I mean, I've known several friends who have started stores or people I got to know who started stores and you might not be able to afford the staff, but I definitely think there's an attitude you can have Mm -hmm. that, you can definitely limit the amount of people you lose to feeling out of place because there have been stores where I've walked in where it's been one person. And even though that store was filled with people, I still felt like that person cared that I was there and was interested in what I was interested in. And there are stores I've walked into where there was five people there and not a single one acknowledged me. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think there's an attitude you can have that even if you're a small store just starting out and it's just you, you can still change people's minds about that. You know, you can still, you know, you might not have time to 
put a person aside and be like, this is what we can do for you. But you might have time to give them a greeting and be like, oh, I can help you with that. I'm a little bit busy right now. But what you should do is come in when I run magic on X night. And when I get a chance in between the rounds, I can teach you something. And I think that kind of attitude of I can't make it work now, but I can make it work if you give me a chance goes a real long way towards somebody saying, you know what? I'll come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way I always kind of thought that the best way to consider your role as the store owner and as the operator, you should look at it as you're the host and you want to welcome people into your home and make them feel like they're special and that you want them there. And then they will then pay you back by becoming customers and wanting to be there. They'll actually want to spend time at your store. Exactly. And I was going to say one other thing too, that's a nice tool that we take advantage of. And I, Mm. I, any other store could take advantage of too, is going back to the community. There are people in your community. And I mean, if you're starting a store, you probably have friends who do the same thing who can help you with that aspect of making your store feel welcoming. Like we, even with our staff that's based on events only, we can't run every single event in the store, but we have really great people that we trust to run their own events, you know, official events that they are sanctioned to do through us because we know we can trust them and we know how good they are at bringing people in. And I feel like a Mm. lot of, you know, especially when you're getting started in this line of work, a lot of people should take advantage of that because, you know, you're going to have a good friend who's good with people and who probably wants to see your store succeed. So why not take advantage of them and say, look, you know, would you mind running this event and helping pull people in? Because I guarantee you, even before I worked here, I've had opportunities like that and I've jumped at them because it's just like, sure, I'd love to help grow your store, you know? Yeah, it's a mutually beneficial. Exactly. That you get to do something you love and you also get to help a business that you care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it goes into, again, building community and, you know, that's that's really what it boils down to is if you want to succeed in this building a community is your best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was good. I like that. So uh, what are some of the online tools that you use during your day to day? Like I'm thinking uh, Twitter and Facebook and things like that. What, uh, we what is the dragons? Like? <laughs> we use Twitter and Facebook primarily. Um, we've been trying to get into more and more. I know one of our employees who's big into role playing games actually set up a Reddit community for us. Mm. Uh, we use uh, a local Texas group that's for wargaming to communicate when our tournaments are for miniatures and such. We try and take advantage of everything out there and the internet makes it really easy, but it can also be tricky for certain things like Facebook and Twitter are the easiest two to use because everyone's familiar with one of them, you know? So it's, it's very easy to just be like post here, post here, you're done. But certain things still need to be, better organized and that's where it gets more into the unique texas based groups and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um like i said the miniature wargaming community has their own site that's just central texas wargaming and having them and having our own staff be able to go onto that site and say this is when our tournaments are 
gives us an, an added avenue that people who can't come into the store or people who don't want to call and find out can do. Uh, we also take advantage of our own website where we put a calendar up and we try to keep it as updated as possible with all the changes we go through about what's happening, when it's happening, what you need, and, you know, what's going to be happening during that, you know. So if you heard of a game but you have no idea about it, you can get a little blurb about it and find out when it is and then show up. And it gives you an opportunity to check it out online. Um, But I definitely think an online presence is very helpful for the store right now because... Nowadays, everybody has access to the internet, whether through a phone or something else. And a lot of our walk-in customers, you know, they heard about it or just moved to the area and were looking for their gaming store because they want to find a community. And it's almost entirely because of the internet that, you know, a lot of those people actually find out about us. Mm-hmm. No, I've got, I've gotten the same uh, same answer from a lot of different stores that basically the yellow pages is a waste of time and everyone's mm-hmm. finding each other through either Twitter, Facebook or their website or like online. Basically it's just, it's the future, right? It is. And that's, that's another thing too, to take advantage of is that on top of just doing your own Facebook and Twitter, getting involved in the communities within your area on their Facebooks and Twitter gives you a really good way to blast something that you're doing. So you know, we're parts of, you know, the Austin Dice Master community, the Austin Hero Clicks community. There's a local magic community that we all are either a part of or the store has access to that we can mm. say, we're having a tournament. This is when it's going on. So it gives us even more avenues that, you know, maybe you don't want to follow the store on Facebook. That's fine. You can still find out because you're a part of this group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have something similar for my region and where I live here. It's a mtg ontario it's the mm-hmm. same kind of idea just a uh interstore network anyone exactly. can post whatever they want and talk about whatever they want that's specific to the region good stuff mm-hmm. okay well i guess it's uh approaching the 55 minute mark <laughs> <laughs> so, running a little long okay. a little bit so what's in store for the dragon's lair in the future what's coming up uh, well, we've got all kinds of big events going on. Um, right now, the biggest thing coming up will probably be the 24-hour game days. And coming up next, not next month, I should say, a few months down the line are the summer camps. Um, we are really trying to expand into a lot of different communities right now. And we've kind of hit a cusp where we're getting to know a lot of the people who run these communities and it's allowing us to run bigger and bigger events. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but we got to be the first store to run the WizKids Open, which was a huge event and people are taking notice of that kind of stuff. You know, we're starting to get more preliminary PTQs for magic. We're pushing for that. Um, and it's getting to the point where now when we're holding tournaments, whether it's for Magic or something else, we're pulling, you know, solid numbers across the board for all kinds of games. And I think that the big things you can see from us in the future are going to be more of these larger and larger events and hopefully more regional events like we got with the WKO. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like I said, we're still going to do the small things like the camps and 24 hour game day and free comic book day and stuff. But we're always looking to keep growing those communities that we were talking about earlier and showing them more of what we can do. And now that magic has changed its format, we're running all kinds of different tournaments for that too. And that's giving us even more options. So cool stuff, exciting developments in the future. <laughs> Should be a lot of fun. Uh, good to hear. Okay. So uh, let's, uh, I guess get to the wrap up point. Sure. Let us know where we can find Dragon's Lair online, where you are in real life, and if anyone wants to contact you. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's going to be dlair.net. And then that's just our website. And you can hop over there, and it has all our calendars, and it has access to both Austin and San Antonio, where the Austin location. And our address in Austin is 2438 West Anderson Lane, and that's Austin, Texas. And the phone number you can reach us at is 512-454-2399, or you can head on to the website and just contact us through the Contact Us option, or on the Facebook at Dragon's Lair Austin. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us and sharing these great insights about what makes your store so awesome. Well, thank you very much for interviewing me, Tom. Yeah, no problem. You have a good day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Fedor. If you're looking for more info about game store entrepreneurship in the magic community, check out com. It's home of the Maniverse podcast, and this is where we talk about tips and tactics you can use to grow your local community and your business. From there, you can find out more about Maniverse.com. You can sign up to get early access as a beta tester. We're currently looking for game store owners and magic players to help work out the kinks and give us some honest feedback. Now, if you like what you're hearing, and I hope you do, subscribe to the Maniverse podcast on iTunes. And if you'd be so kind, I hope you'd leave a review. Sharing this episode is also a great way to help the show. Every reviewer will get a shout-out on an upcoming episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Stay tuned. On the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast, our featured guest is Pascal Espinoza of Metal Galaxy.